Welcome to Jim Carroll and Friends with your host, Jim Carroll. Jim Carroll and Friends is brought to you by Signal Relief, the drug-free pain relief patch. Please visit SignalRelief.com and use our promo code MEMORY for an exclusive offer only for our Jim Carroll and Friends listeners. Anyway, uh, this is the start of my new podcast, uh, and my first guests were supposed to be the last podcast for Beating the Odds, and my new podcast is called Jim Carroll and Friends, and I can't think of two cooler friends than Mark Victor Hansen and Crystal Dyer, his lovely wife, Crystal Dyer Hansen and Mark Victor Hansen. How are you guys doing today? We are more than happy and we're elated that we're part of your great friend group and get to play with you, tease with you, and think out loud with you. Yes, Jim, we're so happy to be here with you. No, it's a pleasure seeing you. We, we, we tried to do this before and, and, and it, we goofed something up. Te- techno, you, know, you know, technology today is you know, not the same. And, so, and I wanted to try to get 15 podcasts under my belt before I knew if I wanted to do this forever. And, and I liked the first 14 and... In fact, my last one was Dr. Daniel Amen before you guys, and and uh, you you remind me of his wife. You, you're so much in common. You're almost like you could be sisters. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. They're, well, they're good friends of ours. Do you know that? Oh my gosh, I did not know. Yeah, we both we all lived in Newport Beach because um, I was there with Mark for eight years. So we hung out with Daniel and Tana, and yeah, they're amazing people, aren't they? Great. Yeah, couple. you could pass for Tana's sister. Honestly, you, you you remind you're almost identical to me, like personality and, and the way you talk. So, yeah, it's really cool. It's, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. So it's uh, we we your book. How is the book doing? Ask. It got to be doing fantastic. I mean, you guys do more podcasts than I. Eat, eat chocolate candy my i mean every day i call every time every week i call you you got three or four podcasts going on and emailing me so things are going great well i'll start and then she can finish but uh our publisher called us up the day it was right before it was coming out on april 28th and said do you want to push it back but you'll be in a political season and i said no 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 there's going to be the most busy political time ever so i always figure out how to succeed in adversity and what we're teaching in the book ask the bridge from your dreams, your destiny, is we'll figure out a new way to sell books. Now, yes, I've sold a half billion books, and and yes, I've written now 312 books, so I'm, I'm more blessed than anybody alive. But there's no way to sell books because the bookstores, by and large, in America are closed. So he said, what are you going to do? And what you just said is correct. We've done literally podcasts around the world, two in America one day, one in Canada, one in Israel. And the last one we did with 10 million people in Vietnam. And what happens is because everybody except in China is buying on Amazon, our book sales are rocking. And we're just ex- exceptionally thankful and thankful for people like you. And every podcast gone well. Would you add to that? Yeah, I think the really important thing for us is that, you know, when we we discussed with a publisher to hold it back, because a lot of books were held back until the fall when this COVID thing broke out. And we all agreed that, you know, the world needs this message right now. Um, ask the bridge from your dreams to your destiny. And because there's never been a time that's been more uncertain. And it's the time that we all need to sit down and take some time with ourselves and with others to ask the right questions and come up with new solutions and and even new beginnings for a lot of people. So we are getting, the most rewarding part, Jim, is the the feedback we're getting. I mean, this book is really changing lives. Um, We're just getting like gushing, you know, I read this, I laughed, I cried, I laughed, I cried, I 
see myself. It gave me the new direction. It helped me through this whole transition. You know, all of these things that are like really like gold. So we're really thankful that we just followed our instinct and said, yes, let's let's release it. Uh, that's it's it's really especially during the the, the times that we're going. I've, I mean, I'm I'm 67. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. It's a it's a perfect time for a book like that to come out. I mean, it's a go to book. I think it's a well, perfect for this time that we're going. Well, through. that's what happened is when we looked at the fact that we've been in 80 countries, talked to seven million people around the world. We met wonderful people, professional people, great with the great attitude, well educated. But the difference between somebody who makes it and somebody who doesn't is one question only. And that's why this is perfect for these times. They know how to ask. And when we said, look, we've always asked our way out of problems. You've got to ask yourself, ask others and ask God. We said, wow, that's illuminating. And then we wrote everything we knew. Then we did all the research with Harvard and Stanford and Cambridge. But then we interviewed 26 superstar askers. And we just got this illumination of what could happen. Yeah, I... I I, I'll tell you that asking is so important as we had several conversations about that. Uh, I mean, that's something I never do. I'm, I'm like really shy and backwards to do that. And, and I know you, I mean, I, I pray and ask God, God for things, but, but to ask another individual, that's the hard part for me. I think I might've told you the story about how I didn't meet Jeff Bezos because I didn't ask. I was me. I met a gentleman in New Hampshire who, invented the Segway, and I think you know who he is. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, Dean, yeah. And it's, and we stayed at his house, me and Bill Chatfield, a mutual friend of ours, and Bill said hi, by the way, as always. And so we're up in the, we're up in his home, and, and the guy, we really hit it off with my Amazon Alexa trick that I do, and he goes, you know, he goes, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Your memory's amazing. He goes, what are you doing in November, blah, blah, blah. I go, why? He goes, I'm honoring Jeff Bezos and I, and Hey, this might be a good opportunity for you to meet him. And I'm like really excited. Cause like, wow, if I do this blow his mind away with the Amazon stuff, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little later. I'll show you something new with it. And then I, I go to this event, this big event, they're honoring him. And I was basically from here to, to my wall away when he was speaking and I showed all the people at the table, the, the stuff I do, they go, Oh my gosh, that's the most amazing. And I just couldn't ask him. I couldn't say, hey, let me show you something. Hey, how you? I just couldn't do it. I just shied out like I was when I was a kid. You know, I was real shy and backward. And a little episode of that came over me. How do you overcome something like that? How do you, like, like even, even me today, I'm the most outgoing guy. And, and I even, I got shy and backwards and I couldn't do it. Couldn't ask. Right, right. That is such a great story, Jim. And such a great example of what happens to most of us again and again and again throughout our lives and why we end up falling short of our dreams and our goals and desires. Because right when those opportunities present themselves or right when we need to make this pivot or right when something, you know, a big opportunity is there in front of us, we hold back and we don't ask, we're afraid to ask. And what Mark and I discovered is there are seven roadblocks to asking and that each one of us has at least one of these roadblocks, if not more. And those roadblocks are unworthiness, naivete, doubt, excuses, fear, pattern paralysis, and disconnection. And that's, that's a, the, for me, that's the saddest one of all, because disconnection means you get to this point in your life where you literally have disconnected from the dreams in your heart. You've just disconnected from your own hope. And what we want to do is get everybody asking again and reconnect them with their greatest dreams 
and bring back, bring that hope alive again. That's that's fantastic. Boy, I wish I, if you were with me at that at that event, I I probably would have been the hit of the party. You know what I mean? I'm gonna call so, you Jim, next time. Yeah, you would have asked yeah. him. I would have made sure you yeah. did not miss that. So, Jim, henceforward, the two of us are giving you a hundred percent permission to ask anybody, anything, anywhere, anytime, any place. But that permission extended to your audience listening too, because everyone needs to have somebody validate them, make them feel important. And that's our goal here is to get everybody to become a master asker and wear the mantle of you have the ability to ask anyone, anything, anywhere, anytime for any, any reason. Well, and here's the thing I want to mention um, in the research that we looked at for the book, Jim, what we found. So a lot of studies have been done on asking and the people going into the study, their perception was that if they asked somebody something, either a question or a favor, you know, some kind of ask for some kind of help, they would either be perceived as being stupid, ignorant, um, you know, unknowing or pushy and obnoxious. And it turns out the research revealed that the opposite is true. Um, people don't look at you that way when you ask. In fact, people are 80% more likely to grant your wish or your request if you just ask. So truly, and I want the audience to understand this, there is nothing to lose if you ask. I mean, what, what, where you lose is when you don't ask. You have everything to lose by not asking and everything to gain by, from asking. And you just gave that perfect example. I mean, imagine if you had made that Jeff Bezos connection, but it was that one little holdback that, that you know, the unworthiness maybe, or, you know, the insecurity or the excuses. Sometimes the excuses part is some people are just too stubborn. You know, there's a stubborn pride. I don't need any help. I can do this by myself. You know, all of these things that hold us back. And the sad thing is all of us are born as children to be master askers and children come into this world wanting to know everything. They're asking who, what, when, where, why, how, and they constantly ask for more and more and more. And they are unabashed and unashamed in their, in their ability to ask. And then life starts happening to us, whether it's the parenting that we grew up with, the schooling experiences we had, our you know, business experiences, or just basic life rejection starts to shut us down and it crushes that beautiful God-given you know, gift to, to ask right out of us. So we're saying, let's rekindle that. Everyone has it and, and let's become master askers together. Yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a perfect, it's definitely 1 million percent true too. And I, I was intimidated that night and hey, and I went through this all my life. I, you know, you know, my story, you know, when I was young, I was shy backwards, used to get beat up all the time. And, and uh, I couldn't even look at people in the eyes. I couldn't, like, even when I first started dating my wife, I mean, she, she would always grab me by the head. She goes, can't you just look at me? Look at me. And I'd be looking away. I could never look anybody in the eyes. I was real shy and backwards. And I thought, hey, here I am today, man. I, I conquered it. I, I'm, I'm not, boom, I still can break down. It's just amazing. It was just so amazing. But anyway, yeah, you guys, uh, well, well, Crystal, this is this life coach, and I can see why you are a life coach. I mean, you're coaching me now. It's like, a, now tell me about, that, about this, this clinical hypnosis, this clinical hypnotherapy. Sure. I, I mean, I, that, that I'm really, you know, I, we talked about, about me going under hypnosis to find out about my lost time journey that I had years and years ago. I mean, is that something that 
hypnotherapy, clinical hypnotherapy could do? Could that, could that come out possibly with a guy like myself? Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing the things that come out. And, you know, I'm a transformational life coach, clinical hypnotherapist, and hypnotherapy is just such a great tool. It's just a great modality. Some people think it's about having someone has control over your mind. That is absolutely not true. You can't um, experience a hip hypnosis session unless you're willing and, you know, on board with it. And what it's about, it's a modality to help you dive into those hidden programs in your mind, because whether we know it or not, we've, you know, throughout our lifetimes, we've taken on different programming. We've had all of these experiences and at, they're being stored at the subconscious level of our mind because our minds have this efficiency in the way they work, you know, that we can't possibly store everything in the conscious mind or we would drive ourselves crazy. So we store these events as patterns and we begin to live the rest of our life by these patterns and we don't even connect the actual events anymore because it's like you know the iceberg under the ocean you you see the tip of it but there's so much beneath it and um, i'm just thinking of this one client i had she was going through a horrible divorce and she came to me because she couldn't sleep her blood pressure was through the roof in spite of the fact that she was a runner and in super fit shape you know she just wasn't doing well so she just came for relaxation, really just a gentle, like take me to a, a nice, gentle, relaxing place. So we did a hypnotherapy and I just asked her to, you know, I just guided her to go to this place inside of herself. It was calm and peaceful where everything was safe and, you know, all these things. So when it was time for her to, for, for us to finish, when I, I, you do a count back just to, cause people get in this, it's a zone. It's like, a, a bit like the artist zone, but a bit deeper, you know, because depending on how deep someone wants to go. But when I counted her back, she had a hard time. She didn't want to come back. It, I mean, you, it's not that you have a hard time. I could bring her right out of it, but she was in such a beautiful place and she, her body had had and mind and spirit had had no relief or rel relaxation for so long. So, um, took a couple of times when she came out, she's like, Oh, I didn't want to leave that beautiful place I was inside of my, you know, inside of myself, basically. And she went home, she felt a lot more calm. Then she's walking down her hallway. And she said, for some crazy reason, I look up at the, at the shelf in the closet. And I see, she said, I see my yearbook from high school, from actually from middle school. She pulls it down and just randomly flips open to this page. And she sees right to this page of this picture of this guy who was um, three or four years older than she was at the time. So, so she was in middle school and they were combined with a high school. And the minute she saw his face, this entire repressed memory came flooding back to her. She remembered that she had stayed home from school because um, she wasn't feeling well one day, but she was a kind of a tomboy, went into the woods to play behind her house in Virginia. And this boy, he was kind of a bad boy always make, you know, a troublemaker, kind of one of those scary boys. And she said he suddenly showed up in the woods and he attacked her. She said he raped me. Oh. And she said, I forgot. I had forgotten until this moment. Now, one of her issues was she had always believed their mother didn't love her. She was a twin of a boy. Her twin is a, was a boy. She thought she felt like her mother loved the boy twin, but not her. And once she had this revelation she realized i said you know she came running back knocking on the door please you've got to see me again this just happened to me oh my gosh all these things are opening up for me 
And she, so we talked it through and she said, I never told my mother. She said, I didn't know how, and this happens. This is a very common thing with children who are abused. They feel like they've done something wrong. And so they believe they'll, they should be punished. So she could never say anything to her mother and buried it. Well, once this came out, her relationship with her mother healed because her perception that her mother didn't love her didn't come from the fact that her mother didn't love her. Her mother loved her a lot. It came from the fact that she didn't feel like she could trust her with this horrible event that had happened to her. So all I'm saying is it, the hypnotherapy has the ability to just open up your mind and access all of those things. And once you can access those things, things, and not everything's a traumatic event, but a lot of things that are just holding us back. Why aren't we having success in our career? Why aren't we having success in our relationships? Why do we keep repeating the same thing over and over again, the same problems? If you can clear that out and just come to what I call the zero point, um, you get to move forward and make your life a deliberate create creation. Um, because up till this point, it's kind of been created randomly to be truthful. And so once you recognize that you have the ability to create your life, it's such an exciting, amazing, magical thing. Wow. Magical. That's good. Mark, did she ever hypnotize you? <laughs> By the way, she you, hypnotized me to fall in love with her, so I can't, I find her irresistible. And then, you know, one of the things we teach about asking is that when we're falling in love, we're at uh, Mother's Market in Costa Mesa, and we're just glued to each other. And the guy sitting next to us is a man of the cloth with a little white collar and black outfit. And he leans in so I can see you two are in love. Do you want to know the secret of staying happily married? And I go, I didn't expect to talk to you. But yeah, the answer is, yeah, we'd like to know how to stay happy. He said, look, I've been head of Billy Graham Ministries for 70 years. He was 90 somewhere. And he said, we learned one thing only is that you got to pray out loud together morning and night with your beloved. And, you know, both of us had prayed in church and prayed in public things, but never prayed out loud with spousally. And now suddenly we do it every day. And so we re-hypnotize, we re-enchant, we reinvigorate, we re-sculpt our life to make it perfect. Like when we went to Florenza, Italy, and saw the greatest sculpture ever by Michelangelo of the David. They say, Michelangelo, how you make it, David? I chip you out everything that's not perfect in David. We try to chip out all the imperfections in our respective life. She has more to work on. Than I, <laughs> I, I got to ask this. Chick, the chicken soup for the Soul Series. How the heck does somebody, how did you come up with the name, first of all, and what, what did that sell? Like a half a billion books or something? That is insane. Yeah, yeah, over half books How did you guys come up with that? Yeah. <laughs> Once movie theaters open up again, which is another uh, criminal act against society. Um, <laughs> anyhow, so Chicken Soup, Jack and I are on this great program uh, with 6,000 people called the Mandala Association in San Diego. He talked way in the morning. I talked late. I was the last keynote tie-up. And he comes up to me after I'd sold all my books and shook my hand and said, do you know me? I said, yeah, you're Dr. Jack Canfield. You wrote uh, 101 Ways Bill Self-Esteem in the Classroom. I'm a great fan of yours and your work. And he said, well, I'm a fan of yours. He said, can you teach me how to do those heart-touching, soul-penetrating stories that you just wowed the audience with? And that's how this thing started. And I haven't ever told that part of the story quite like that before, but that's what happened. We spent three years putting it together. We, he had a title on it. And I didn't like the title. And I said, Look, let's do a thought command, which is what we're teaching in our book, Ask, right? Just like 
you ask 400 times before you go to sleep, what's God, what's your destiny for me? God, what's your destiny for me? But what Jack and I did is, God, we want to make a best-selling title. God, we want to make a best-selling title. God, we want to make a best-selling title. 2.58 in the morning, Jack was in his house in Santa Barbara. I'm in my home in Newport. And this is before cell phones, so the whole, it wakes up the whole house, and you're always worried it's an emergency. I pick up the phone as fast as I could, and Jack says, chicken soup. I said, for the soul. I said, we got it. We both got goosebumps, chili bumps, wow. God bumps which is one of our seven discernments. So we knew we had it. Now, 144 publishers all said, no, you guys haven't got it. What? You guys don't know what you're doing. You know, and they turned us down. But the, the point is the audiences loved the stories. People said, yeah, the story in the book. So we knew it would work. And and uh, thank God I've been selling since I was nine years old. So I was willing to grin and bear it, so to speak. And I, I sort of have a Teflon exterior about rejection. I'm rejection proof. And I say, when you get rejected, one clean four-letter word, N-E-X-T, next. Wow. How many times were you, how many publishers turned it down? 144 publishers didn't wow. like Jack. They how many? Said, hit the road, Jack. <laughs> how, many <of> those, <laughs> how many of those publishers are still in business, I wonder? <laughs> Jeez, that was so dumb. Oh, my. Oh, I've been at parties with Mark where they'll come up and go, you know, when we got that book submitted to us, I was the one who said we should, we should take it. <laughs> but no one else believed me. And I'm like, you know, that cost you wow. a million dollars or whatever. Because the publisher makes more than the author, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. I, I can't believe Believe I didn't know it was that many. I knew a couple. I thought it was a couple dozen. I didn't know a hundred, hundred forty. Wow, that's insane. And today, that's is probably still selling, right? You still did people. People still buying that. Well, it, is, we're coming out with new books. It's still selling, and it's doing lots of interesting and exciting stuff. So I'm very thankful for the franchise, yeah, yeah that we created. And then, so we did two billion dollars worth of books, and we did billion dollars worth of licensing because I'd read one weekend. I read George Lucas's book and then Steven Spielberg, and they'd made. 800 million on ET and a billion and a half on licensing. And I came into Jack and next Monday at his office over that week. And I said, Jack, we're going into licensing. He said, what do you know? I said, nothing. I said, what do you know? Nothing. I said, look, the point is we asked each other, you know, can we build a system to do this and system I've redefined save yourself time, energy, and money as an acronym. So we asked ourselves what the system would be. I created it. And in a year's time, we had 101 different, um, different licenses like we did chicken soup for the soul dog food and we sold 157 million dollars worth of dog food a year which we get 15 percent of it's amazing wow. it's a great business so when you build the ultimate memory magic book oh, you want to go into licensing i'll teach you how to do it when you get bigger and memory magic for kids memory magic for seniors memory magic for veterans that's a good idea i, I would love that that you'd you be the first one i'm going to call if that happens but hey now now, now how do they how do they go about like when they put it in a different language, like your your ask book, the chicken soup for the soul, like how many languages do, do they translate the book into? Do you know off the we're, time? We're in 54 different languages. And, and what happens is we used to go to a meeting when it was public and available before COVID called ABA, American Book Association. And there they'd have the international rights people show up and they'd talk to our publisher and then the publisher would talk to us. But like when we went into Japanese, you know, there's a lot of words you and I take like, whole nine yards based on what you're wearing right now. You yeah. know that means what? What is whole, yeah, nine, whole yards? nine yards? in football analogy. That's what yeah. I thought, but it's not. No? Whole nine yards is from your wrist to your here. That's how much clothes it takes nine yards to make an outfit for a man or nine yards to make an outfit for a woman. Are you serious? Yeah. That's the origin of it. I never knew that. I thought the whole nine yards, I thought that was a football analogy. Like, you, yeah, yeah, wow. The whole nine yards, is that what it meant? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's what I mean. Is it so when we start translating into the 54 major languages, now yeah. we're in languages you've never heard of, like, you know, Telugu and Canadrese, but the big languages like French and English and Swahili and that, you know, we're in all of them. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, who, who made up who made up the Michaela story in Ask? Who came up with that idea? Oh, you did? I did. I Yeah, that was my story. We wanted to start with this parable, you know, a fable, we call it. And um, because we wanted to take the reader through the experience of someone who doesn't know how to ask and, uh, you know, evolves and learns how to become a master asker. So Michaela starts off, I mean, she is literally basically an indentured servant moving rocks every day at a quarry. And she's, her life is heavy and miserable. Um, she's lost all hope. She Both of her parents have died one after the other. Her home was taken away from her by bill collectors. So she's sleeping in a grove of trees. And she goes home one night from the quarry and falls into an exhausted sleep. And the being comes and the being takes her on this journey and shows her this beautiful, sparkling, asking bridge. And he gives her this admonishment saying, Michaela, you need to start asking and never stop asking. And she couldn't, when she woke up that morning, she felt, she knew something inside of her had changed dramatically. And from there forward, her life started to transform in miraculous ways. And she started wondering about people. She started wondering about things. She started being curious again. She started asking questions again. And as she started asking more questions, became more curious, um, her life just kept expanding exponentially until by the end, she is so transformed in such a beautiful way. And I just felt like, you know, Michaela's story is the story of every woman and man, because a lot of people right now, especially feel like they're lifting heavy rocks every day and life is, you know, they've, they've lost hope. And so we want them to understand. It's such a beautiful journey to read Michaela's journey because you understand, I mean, stories are so wonderful for us. They're, they're metaphors for our own lives, truly. And our brains recognize the patterns in metaphors and our brains think in patterns. So it's very important to read beautiful stories like that, redeeming stories, because it imprints a, a new pattern in our mind. I tell people to read it multiple times because you'll start to understand the pattern. And it's just such a beautiful transformation. Yeah, it's just an amazing beginning for a book to talk about that story. That was just so different. And, and, and you, Mark, you were saying about, like if there was a movie about Michaela's story, you'd be the king and, and, and Crystal would be the queen? Is that... Well, yeah, we've got we've had at least one uh, major producer come to us and say, yeah. "Hey, we want to make it into a movie," but they also want us to fund it, and that's interesting but not acceptable to us. So, <laughs> if somebody out there listening wants to fund the movie, we know who will make it, and we will write it as the most extraordinary script because we think it needs to be a movie because people are more visual than anything. And when you ask yourself how you really think, you think in pictures in your mind. When you ask yourself, and what we want to do is get everyone to ask themselves you know, ask yourself, ask others and ask God, you know, so we have the full bloom of your destiny. Let me, about, let me, let me ask about talking about destiny. Now we talked about this a lot on the phone, that dreams. Now, do you, do, what do you really, both of you, do you, do you think alike about the dreams? Do you think dreams are 
more than just a dream? Like, yes, I mean, yeah. absolutely. For me, I, and you and I have talked yeah. about this, um, Jim, I've had miraculous, remarkable dreams. And I think our dreams can guide us. And, you know, it, it goes back, I, I think you, the more curious you are about your life, the more you live in wonder about the meaning of it, um, the more you will start to get that information feedback from this perfect universe that God set up. When we start asking, when we start wondering, when we start inquiring, these things start making themselves known to us. And, and it's just so beautiful. I mean, so one of these days I wanna write a book just about my dreams, but, but I know what, what started that is my inquiry into what is life? What is the meaning of life? What is really out there for all of us? And you know, how, how, does, how does this universe work? And how, how do you connect to God? And so what, on the ask yourself part, that is the reflective journey. And, and, and we're asking everybody to sit down and take time with yourself, get the book and go through some of these questions. Start asking yourself some of these amazing questions because every time you ask a question, your brain literally starts to light up in a different way. A different part of your brain lights up when you ask a question. It's the part of your brain that does critical thinking. So wouldn't we want to use our brains to our own maximum benefit. And um, you know, then you start, when you start asking questions of yourself, you start defining what you want. And we say there are three critical phases to asking, Jim. So there's, you know, the first critical phase is where am I right now? Because you have to know where you are to figure out where you want to go, right? You know, do do I like what's happening? All the sub questions that come after that, where am I right now? We don't take time to really dive in and explore that. Uh, are things working out the way I want it? Is this what I really wanted to be doing or is there something different for me? Um, what do I feel impassioned about? And when you start to define that, then you go to the second phase, which is where do I want to be? Very few people really take deliberate effort to say, where, where do I really want my life to be? And what Mark and I like to do is use your imagination and imagine your perfect scenario of success, your perfect scenario of relationships, your perfect scenario of living a purpose-driven life. Imagine that at its ultimate state and then ask the questions, who am I talking to? What am I doing? What's important to me in this perfect life? What is, you know, what are my goals every day? Who do I, fo who do I talk to? What do I focus on? All of those questions will start to engineer your life backwards from your ultimate state. And then of course, the final state of, you know, where am I, where do I want to be is, what specific action steps do I need to take to get there? Because you need to put your asking journey in motion. That, that's amazing as far as, uh, like, like, let me ask you a question. Mark, you, you wrote so many books. Did one ever come in a dream? Like, you know, a lot of these inventors, they, like, who, who, who are some of these guys? They, this, the inventor of the sewing machine, Albert Einstein, the theory of relativity, it all came in a dream. Did any of your stories in any of your books come in your dream and you wrote about it did that ever happen yeah by the way because you brought up edison also is that when edison would go into what's called a hypnagogic trance as sort of a hypnotized himself said i know there's a way to do a light bulb because remember all they had is is candles up until then right. and so what he did is he put a key in his hand and he would lay down on a little cot next to his uh, desk 
And uh, when his hand got relaxed enough, he kept saying a light bulb, a light bulb, a light bulb. And then it, the key is it, it'd wake him up. And finally, after 10,000 experiences, which he said, I never failed. I had 10,000 learning experiences by asking myself. I found out what didn't work. And then it, all of a sudden it came to his imagination, uh, filament in a tungsten in a vacuum. And he said, that was it. And then suddenly he gave light to the world. That's that was uh, 1896. That's that's amazing. That's that's so that's so cool to know that because, like a lot of time when I have these dreams that come true, like it all started back in 1990 with the two 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 lottery prediction. That thing was like, whoo! I mean, I'm having dreams now about. Pen I just had a dream last night about Pennsylvania lottery for December 22nd. I'm oh. not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it on here, but often it's the 30th anniversary. No, I don't. I don't. I don't play. Why what? Did you make sure you recorded oh, everything? Oh, my God, I'm writing everything down. That's why that, that, you just reminded me that when you said about Edison dropping his hand with the key, most of the dreams you have, you forget them. You forget your dream. I mean, if, if you don't write it down, I mean, that, that dream dissipates probably within three minutes after you awake. And so I started writing all my dreams down. I'm taping my voice and everything else. <clears throat> the one time I woke up in the middle, oh, yeah, that 222 prediction thing. That was, that was in November, listen to this, early November of 1990 for December 22nd, 1990, and it came true. Well, early November is less than a month away, and this is the 30th anniversary, and these dreams are freaking getting so strong, I can't, I can't, I almost want to tell you to dream, but I don't want to say it on here because I, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 yeah, the dreams are happening. So I, I'm I'm into dreams, as you can tell. You talk about writing a book about dreams. My gosh, I got thousands of dreams in my head that came true, it, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, same here, Jim. I I, I could write so many things, that, and they're all miracles. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I mean, it, it's unbelievable when people think if you think you're here alone, and that you know you're doing this all by yourself, that's that's an illusion. The reality is we are interacting with this magnificent universe that God set up all the time. And the more you're open to that, the more you're open to the miracle of that. And the more you anticipate it, the more you will receive that information, that feedback, the information is everywhere for you. And also I will tell you, there are benevolent beings. I know. I, I 1 million percent believe this. Yeah. Where you're not alone. If there's anything I could tell people is, understand you're not alone there's a tremendous amount of support and you can take great comfort in that also i'd, I'd say the other thing jim is that there's only one mind there's god and then all of us god's a mainframe computer you and i are many frames off the mainframe so when you ask the mainframe for an answer it has to come if you're open and running a clean show and like one of the clean shows that you talked to us about on the last interview which didn't get broadcast was you can't even swear because it starts polluting your exactly yeah. block yourself. Yeah, right. but, I'm so glad you brought Jim. Talk about that because well, I no, think that state love, of mind that we're talking about, like asking for these things, leaving your state, putting yourself in a state of wonder and anticipation, but also keeping yourself clean, like Mark said. Pure. I, I love the purity of heart and mind that you carry. So I, Mark and I both loved what you said because we've noticed the same thing. Yeah, it's almost. I mean, it's almost like it turned into almost like OCD. It's like really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm aware now. Like, don't do that. Don't do, don't flip the bird to that guy just because he cut you off. Don't do anything. That, you know what I mean? I, all the, I, I worked at a steel mill, for God's sake. I mean, you could imagine what I was like when I was younger. I mean, c compared to where I'm at now. But I, I know for a fact, 
if I'm if, if I have a great day where I don't do anything bad or negative and I'm positive and I help people and do real nice to everybody, that's when the dreams come. And for some reason, if I do anything, do something wrong, you know, and I won't get into what what they are because you know everybody has their faults, but but I can't even get angry at somebody. I can't. I gotta. I have to like be. You have to try to. And it's really weird because you you you. you your mind becomes aware of when you're about to do something bad. And it's like, whoa, you stop. You, you could pull back. So, yeah, and it's very important to pull back because, because I will tell everybody, trust me when I tell you this, if you're good, positive, that is so important. That's when everything comes to you. The dreams, everything happens. When you're negative and bitter and everything else causes stress on your body. Hey, I'm into the brain, as you both know, and the brain and the body go together. And I like to call it, at night when I go to sleep, I go online with the universe. All right, like people go online throughout. The, I'm online with the universe, man. When I'm when I'm sleeping at night, that's exactly what happens. When I'm a good boy, all right. If I'm a bad boy, it doesn't happen. Now you explain that to me. Why doesn't it happen when it, when I'm when I do something negative? I don't get that. Well, I I know exactly why, Jim. And we've read a number of books on this, including um, Dr. David Hawkins' Power Versus Force. But literally, you we operate on a frequency. And it's, it's we ourselves who determine the frequency at which we operate. So if you are walking around in this state of anger all the time, you are operating at a very low frequency. It's a low, slow, darker frequency, truly. And the more you embrace anger and profanity and profane things and profane ideas, the more you will exist at this low level of frequency. So at that low level of frequency, you can't pick up the signals of the most high. So when you make a, cl a clear decision to say, I'm gonna let go of all profanity in my life and anger. I'm gonna operate at this higher frequency. Now it's just like a radio tuned to a, to a different station, right? Suddenly you are receiving the frequency at to which you are tuned. I'm, and I'm telling you, that's 100% fact for me. That definitely is. I know a lot of people listening might think, oh, yeah, sure, we hear that all the time. No, it, trust me. I I was one of those guys. You know what I mean? I, I, was a, I, was a, I went from shy and backwards, getting beat up and everything else, to the complete opposite end of the spectrum, becoming this wild, crazy man. That's why I called myself the psychic madman in the college market. It wasn't no coincidence. I was a crazy... I did, I did such bad things, you know, I'm not even going to talk about it, you know, we're, but, and then meeting my wife, she brought me back down here, not all the way down, thank God, but right in the middle, you know, and, and I've been there ever since. And, and if it wasn't for her, I don't even know where I'd be right now. But yeah, is it, I know for a fact, you got to try to be as pot. I try to wake up every day being just a little more positive than I was the day before. And if you could try to set that goal, it, it changes your life. It really does. I mean, I'm, I'm doing things right now that I, I could never do when I was in my 20s, 30s, and 40s. It's a bit, mentally and physically, it's bizarre. It's just, you know. And with a deck of cards, like, I swear, there's something about this. I mean, I, I'm going to go down in history as I'm going to be called card man or something. Everything, this, this is where it all started, with a deck of cards. Everything I do started with this, and now I'm, I'm finding out like I talk with a couple of people from MIT every night on the phone. Robert and Jamie, he's a scientist. All these guys, I'm, I help him with computational neuroscience, teaching with his class and things like that. And I worked in a steel mill and barely made it out of high school. 
This right here is math. A deck yeah. of cards to me is math. It's physics. It's I, I'm studying computation. Right now, quantum physics, I'm studying quantum physics. The things I do with cards right now, if, if I, I can't wait till this COVID's over and, and let people see it. I mean, I, you could see it here, but here, like, let me show you this new one. But this, and this is like, I don't even know where this comes from. And you truly mix the cards up. This is not a magic trick. And look, all I have to do, count to 12. Ready? Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, I'm done. You ready? Yep. I don't know if you can see the cards. Yep. Yeah, we can. Name any number. Uh, tell me when to stop anytime you want. Stop. You want to go stop here or this one? Uh, the one you just said down. That was the Ten of Clubs. Oh, jeez. The next one is the Jack of Heart. Then the Ace of Spade. Then the Two of Diamonds, the Four of Club, the King of Diamond, the King of Spade. Then the Two of Heart, a Nine of Diamond, a Jack of Spade, a Seven of Spade. I call this flash memory. I'm memorizing decks of cards now literally under 20 seconds. What's going on here? Where is this coming from? I mean, it's scary, actually. It's scary. Every, every week, I create something new in my brain with a deck of cards, and it's all math-related. Everything's math and memory and physics-related. And when it comes together... Like I told you before, Mark, about this thing I come up with with Bridge. I could, I could be at your house right now with, with a, another guest, and you could deal four bridge hands out, and I'll, I'll look at one of the bridge hands, and I'll know the other three. How is this possible? But that's what's could, happening could to me. Every, could you win when you go to Vegas equivalently? Now, I think now if I, I got to watch what I say, but, but I think, uh, yeah. If I, I have blackjack down pat... I have poker down, Pat. In fact, I love poker. I played a lot of the, the, the Doyle Brunson. I played against him in a charity tournament. Johnny, Ch I played against a lot of the pros. Poker I have down because poker is not just about memory and, and math and everything else, but it's about, I, I call it my odd skills, observation and deception detection, detection skills. Like just by looking at somebody, I could tell when somebody is truthful, deceitful. It's like really bizarre. Like now I could do it with you guys because I have a bigger screen here now. I have a big monitor in front of me and I can see the eyes and I can tell if somebody lies or tells the truth. So these next, I'm going to start doing Zoom shows now where I, I have a couple booked already and, and where I can read people over to Zoom. And it's really cool where this is going. But it's, or like here, like we can take something like simple like this here. Now this is, this is not really here. I don't know if you can see this. We'll use a cup here. We'll put the dice in a cup. I don't know if you're ever going to we'll shake it up like this. Ready? And we'll go like this. Could you see the cup? Yes. Because I can't see the screen. Yes, we can see now, the cup. Now, you're not going to believe this, Crystal. What number do you think is facing up on that die right now? Uh, five. What do you say, Mark? Six. Is that a coincidence that you got that right, Mark? Wow. It's a six. Now, you could do it every time. I could have Crystal guess the number, and she'll guess it. I'm not switching anything. It's not a magic trick or anything like that. This is what I do. Like, here, like, show me, show me any amount of fingers right now, Crystal. Show me any amount of fingers right now with your two hands like that. Go. Okay, so. Good. Watch this. Well, keep them up there so, so, so the audience could see. Oh, okay. All right. Alexa, will you guess the number? Hmm, Jim, I think it's an eight. 
<laughs> I love that. Isn't this cool? And so now I'm taking this and I call it the extended mind. Like a mentalist will do tricks and things like that. I'm beyond that. I'm doing some really, really weird stuff. And now I call it the extended mind by getting into technology, like your computers. I can make your computer act up right now at home and things like that. I no, can, don't do that. No, 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 no. I, yeah. but, but this is what I'm doing. I'm having a blast. I mean, I'm taking yeah. advantage, and this is what everybody should do. Okay, we're all stranded, especially in New York. Okay, don't get negative. Don't get down. Try to turn this into a positive. Like I get up every day, and I try to invent a new card trick. And this, you got to try to... You know what I mean? You got to just stay positive. If everybody would just stay positive, it, 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 you could really make something happen with your own life. I mean, I changed my whole life. I'm doing things now that I would have never have done if it wasn't for the COVID. I would have never got into half the stuff I'm doing. I would have never done a podcast, first of all. Right. All right. So it's, it's so you got to take advantage of the negative stuff that happens and it could change you. It's like like I had an injury just, just two, two days ago. I couldn't, my back, I pulled my back out. Oh, so bad. I, I mean, worse than that, because, you know, working in a steel mill, you're lifting, up, you're lifting up the end of three to 400-pound angles and stacking them after you punch them on this machine. I did that when I, a long time ago, and I injured my back, and every once in a while, you throw it out. And it's, oh, that's why, that's why Signal Relief sponsors me. I, I put one of these patches. I, I'm sitting on my couch like this, watching television, and believe it or not, it goes away sometime. This works really great, all right? But sometimes you pull it so bad. But now today, I could I feel like I could go in there like right now and bench my bench my weight five times. I have a weight room right next door to here. So, but you got to do this with your mind. If you're not positive, if you just dwell on the negative and oh man, I got this, I got that. I believe, I truly believe, you could communicate with the cells in your body. I really oh, do that. I believe that. Yeah. Oh, Jim, what do I say to you every time we're you know we're on a hike and Marcos? Yeah, my ankle's really hurting. It's I go, well, talk to it. Tell it to fix itself. <laughs> that's that's go, awesome. Yeah. Your cells are alive. Your cells are alive. And they can hear you. And just picture your perfect, intelligent body fixing itself. And it's amazing how that works. The other thing we do is if, yeah, like my knee was really killing me at night for weeks. Couldn't figure out what was going on. It was like a tendon thing. But I always know I can heal it. You know, so I keep like saying, thank you, God, for healing my knee, for showing me exactly what I need to do. And I'm telling you, the most random things will happen. Someone will send me, they'll get uh, a text from a news story that says, do this knee exercise or, yeah. you know, or I'll wake up and I'll remember, oh yeah, take Wobenzyme. Or send you one yeah. of these in the mail. <laughs> or one of those. And, yeah. and it all comes together and yeah. suddenly my knee's perfect. I mean, it just, you have to believe that every answer is there for you if you just ask. And, and that's, that, those are the two key words, and ask and belief. Those are two key words right now. If you ask and believe, that's, that's my thing. That's what I'm doing. I'm working well, that's what we say. In, in the book, we say you have to prepare to be a good asker. How do you prepare to be a good asker? The first thing is belief. Yeah, belief. You have to believe that you deserve the answer, first of all, because too many people are undeserving. And you also have to believe that answer is there for you. I could talk with you guys forever, as you know. But now, I got to find out one thing about you, Mark. Uh, I, I know we talked about, what was it, Waukegan? I think, what was it? What were you from Waukegan? I never even heard of that town, first of all. What does it have, like eight more cows than people or something like that? And, uh, and, and At least eight more cows <laughs> yeah. than people. And, and yeah. What happened is the Milwaukee Indians took their first, stopped in Waukegan and way to Chicago. So it's 
one walk again to Chicago. That's how you'll remember it. Hey, and I got my Dick Butkus shirt on today for there you. There you go. That? Never yeah. heard of him. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Dick Butkus, Chicago Bears, baby. He's the best. But, yeah. but, but anyway, how do you grow up in a little town like that and become such a big... What, what is, how does that, that's amazing. By the way, what we're saying is you got to ask yourself. And I asked myself, well, what do I want to be? And, I, and at first, I wanted to be a great, inspiring speaker. And I talked to my roommates about it after going bankrupt. And I said, do you know anyone that's young, that's not a doctor, a lawyer, a famous person, or a celebrity? And they said, yeah, yeah, they're just a kid a few years older than you speaking out in Haw Pog, Long Island, New York. Well, the bankruptcy court's taking everything. I get in my little beat up old Volkswagen with a permanently that was permanently air conditioned, had holes in the floors. <laughs> I had to wipe off the snow off the window. Things were bad in 1974 for me. I, I raced out there, listen to this guy mesmerize the audience, Chip Collins, for three hours, at the end of which I walk up and I ask, I say, Chip, can I take you to lunch? Teach me how to do this business. I want to do it. He said, look, kid, the chance you make it is one in a thousand. You're not going to make it. But I'll tell you, if you stay out of, I own the five boroughs here for real estate. I'll teach you how to do it in life insurance. Well, I did a thousand talks a year the first three years in the business because he gave me the questions. I started asking. And if I wasn't doing a talk, I was selling a talk. And that was six days a week. I just because guys who run offices are workaholics, right? And agents and managers and general agents in the life insurance business. So they were available. They were there on Saturday working and nobody was no secretaries or anything. So I could go straight in and book it. And it was amazing. So then I'm doing the talk and all of a sudden everyone said, yeah, that story in a book. So the first book I wrote was Stand Up, Speak on Win. This is my book. You have a book in you, but Stand Up, Speak on Win. I said, this isn't a New York Times bestseller. It's not a national bestseller. It's not an international bestseller, but it's my bestseller. And to you and the audience, I want to sign it. Jim, I want to sign it to you and your wife and your kid. And if you had a dog, I want to sign it to your dog. <laughs> and they all laughed and thought, this kid's so silly. But I sold 20,000 copies at $10. I tripled my income from 70 grand a year to over $200,000. And it was the greatest thing ever. And I thought, boy, I've arrived. But then I had more stories to tell. So we kept doing more books. And that's how we end up with 312 books. And, and you know, I plan on living to be 127 options for renewal. And we have a whole coterie of stuff that we want to write. We want to keep writing because we keep thinking. And the beautiful, different than football, where you're done playing it at the top, what, 37, 36 years old? And the beautiful thing about the mind is the mind keeps getting richer, deeper, more profound, hopefully. And, uh, you know, all I can tell you is that our 80 plus podcasts that we've done either alone or together, you know, the people are going, wow, that's exciting what you guys are doing. And, and people are buying our books like crazy. And we're thankful to God because we really want our book. Our destiny is helping people find their destiny. That's so, that's so great. I, I love, I love you guys so much. The, just, just that's talking cool. to you is inspirational to me. Every time we have a call on the phone, I always look forward to the call and any, what, one last thing I'll let you guys go. What advice would you give to even a person like myself with this book, an, an aspiring writer out there who some of them are self publishing their books. Others, I got lucky by, by having my, my publisher. I have a publishing company, Macmillan and, but but what do you, what advice would you do to especially in these tough times right now to get book? I mean, it's not like you like my books in Barnes and Noble, but who's going in Barnes and Noble? Who's going in bookstores? You know what I mean? It's like and it's it's lost amongst tens of thousands of books. How do you what do, what kind of advice would you give to somebody besides going on tons of podcasts and radio shows? I know that I have to get going. I have to do that. But what other kind of advice would you give them? Once you've written a great and inspiring, excellent book, you're 10% done. Now the 90% is becoming a master self-promoter. 
and you got to be the broadcast central for you and you're doing it just by doing this podcast but what you got to do is start going into your inner mind just like we said edison did and with the key and all that and say how is it i'm going to sell my first million copies of the ultimate memory magic you know and your inner knower knows i don't know for you but you know for you and you just got to direct your mind in that way and, and like crystal would say hypnotize yourself to your own greatness and destiny of becoming an all-time best-selling author which we see you as even before you become it oh you guys are so awesome mark victor hansen and crystal his lovely 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 wife you guys are so awesome. thank you for taking the time out to join me here today it's always a pleasure and and we're going to talk about this dream i had off camera next in the next couple of days yeah it's, jim thank it's, you for having us oh, awesome it's Always a pleasure. a pleasure. So okay. interesting and fun, these conversations. And hopefully the audience really um, gets something out of it and really takes this forward to improve their own lives. And we'd like people to go to my website and her. So go to markvictorhanson.com. we got a free book for you there and Crystal. Yeah, go. mine's crystalvisionlife.com. And there's a free audio called Purge Messy Thinking. Uh, grab that resource. Um, a lot of people are doing messy thinking right now. And it's really great to go through that, it's a guided visualization with your eyes closed and just really get rid of that junk that's not serving you. And then of course you can get our book, Ask the Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny at amazon.com. And then we want you to join askthebookclub.com. It's yeah. free, askthebookclub.com because we're gonna help teach people for free how to become master askers. <laughs> I love that, Ma I can't. That's a tongue twister almost, master askers. Say it, say it five times real fast, master <laughs> It's harder. <laughs> All right, guys. I love you guys, man. You guys are awesome. Thank you again. Mark and Crystal, pleasure. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is it. Signal Relief. I know what you're thinking. What the heck is it? It looks like alien technology of some kind. But let me tell you something, this really works. I mean, I worked at a steel mill. I lifted weights when I was younger and I hurt my back so bad and chronic back pain for the like, I don't know, the last 20 years. And my buddy Mike sent me one of these in the mail, stuck it on my back while watching TV for an hour. And all of a sudden the pain's gone. This is the real deal. Brave reviews, Signal Relief. You can find it on the podcast site, jimcarroll.com forward slash podcast, or I think it's signalrelief.com is connected with that as well. One of the best things I've ever seen in my life, Signal Relief. Thank you for listening to the Jim Carroll and Friends podcast. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share, and stay tuned for the next episode.